0: Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's I Am the Triangle. It's Tuesday, October 1st, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage.
1: And I'm Andrew Eichen. Now we bring you coverage of a transit plan for the Triangle, as well as the government shutdown we're all
0: hearing about. In addition, we've got the second part in a series about fires and much more. But first, here's
1: Andrew with the news. The federal government shut down today and Obamacare went into effect. We'll have more on both of those stories later. The Justice Department is suing North Carolina over voter laws passed earlier this year, requiring photo identification to cast ballots. The lawsuit would challenge four parts of the law and ask a court to require North Carolina to obtain pre-approval for certain voting law changes under a part of the Voting Rights Act that remains in effect, according to a person briefed on the legal filing. That's the news. Thanks, Andrew. And now, live in the studio, we have meteorologist
0: Katie Costa. Katie, today we saw plenty of sunshine. It was pretty warm out there. But how long is this warm weather going to last? And when will it actually begin to feel like fall?
2: Well, Nick, I am glad you asked that because even though today was the first of October, temperatures still managed to peak into the low 80s, which is above average for this time of year. And this unseasonably warm weather will continue for the rest of this work week since high pressure will remain over the region tomorrow through Friday, keeping things pretty warm and dry. Taking a look at your forecast over the next five days... Don't put away your summer clothes just yet, because we will be seeing a nice 80s trend across the triangle tomorrow through Sunday. Tomorrow, we expect sunny skies with a high of 83 degrees, slightly warmer than we were today, so a perfect day to spend some time outdoors and try to catch some rays. Expect a pleasant evening with 60 degrees for the overnight low. Thursday, temperatures will reach a high of 84 degrees, and we will begin to see some clouds move into the region with an overnight low of 61. Friday, partly cloudy skies will continue with temperatures reaching 85 degrees for the high. Friday night, expect a fairly mild evening with temperatures once again hovering over the low 60s. Now expect an overall pleasant first weekend of October with highs in the low to mid 80s and lows in the lower 60s and mostly sunny skies. If you are able, try to get out and spend some time outdoors this weekend and enjoy this warm weather spell while you can because by the end of the weekend, our chances for rain will increase to about 30%. Sunday evening, a cold front will begin to make its way into the triangle from the west, causing things to shift quite a bit. This system will bring rain and possibly a storm or two, along with a drop in temperatures overnight Sunday and into Monday morning. So by early next week, it will finally begin to feel more like fall. Now for all of you stargazers out there, I thought you might like to know that tonight and tomorrow evening look like the best nights to escape the city lights. Grab your telescopes and check out some stars since skies will remain clear and clouds won't start moving in until Thursday morning. And if you don't know much about astronomy but want to learn a little more about it, here are a quick few facts. The night sky is divided into 88 constellations. That's right, 88. There are way more constellations out there than just the 12 constellations of the zodiac that everyone is familiar with when you check your daily horoscopes. The other 76 are just as important. And on a clear moonless night, a thousand or more stars are visible. So if you don't own a telescope, don't let that discourage you because the amount of objects you are able to see with the naked eye are amazing. Five out of eight planets in our solar system, a few star clusters, a spiral galaxy, and the odd bright comet are all visible, so it is pretty fascinating how much you can see. Now, hopefully you know a little more about our solar system just in case you feel inclined to head outside and check out the night sky tonight or tomorrow evening. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to WKNC's Weather here on Eye on the Triangle. Back to you, Nick.
1: Thanks, Katie. And now here's Ben with your Wolfpack Sports Update.
3: This is Ben Hefner with the Eye on the Triangle Sports Report. The Wolfpack football team bounced back this week after a disappointing loss to Clemson in their last game, beating the Central Michigan Chippewas 48-14. Pete Thomas threw for his first passing touchdown of the year with an 80-yard strike to Brian Underwood. Shadrach Thornton and Matt Days both had long rushing scores. Rashard Smith returned a punt, 67 yards for a touchdown, and DJ Green returned an interception for a touchdown. State outgained the Chippewas 483 yards to 259. This win gave the football team a 3-1 record, 0-1 the ACC, on the year. The pack travels to Winston-Salem this Saturday to take on in-state rival Wake Forest in our first away game of the season. The women's soccer team dropped two games this week, losing to 16th ranked Virginia Tech 4-1 and then losing to Boston College 3-2. Jackie Stingle scored the only goal for the pack on a rather hapless day against the Hokies. The freshman striker now has an impressive eight goals on the season. NC State fought back from a 2-0 deficit against Boston College with goals from Caroline Gentry and Brittany Stanko. Fortunately, in the end, we were not able to overcome Mackenzie Meehan's hat trick and lost 3-2. This week brought them to a 6-6 six and six record, 1-5 mark in the ACC. The ladies will be in action this Thursday at 21st-ranked Maryland. The men's soccer team played two games this past week as well, shutting out Davidson 2-0 and losing to Boston College 2-1. Nick Surkamp was the spark for the Wolf Pack against Davidson, scoring two goals to bring his season total to a team leading four. In the Pack's 2-1 loss to Boston College, there's some question as to whether the Eagles' first goal should have been offside, but it was upheld after some deliberation. Clemens Simonon provided State with their lone goal on the evening off of a corner kick. By splitting their games this week, the Packs' record is now 4 2 and 1 with a 1 2 and 1 mark in the ACC. The men's soccer team's next game will be today at Garner Webb. The men's golf team finished 14th out of 19 teams at the St. Mary's Invitational this past weekend. The tournament held at Bayonet and Black Horse Golf Courses in California. Was very challenging, and State ended with an overall score of 9.06, which was 42 over par. The top two individual finishers for the pack were Carter Page and James Chapman, with scores of 2.25 and 2.26, respectively, which placed them at 38th and 42nd. The next time the State will hit the golf course will be at the Wolfpack Intercollegiate, starting on October 7th. The volleyball team opened their ACC season with matches against North Carolina and ACC newcomer Notre Dame. The Wolfpack dropped their match against UNC 3-0, but bounced back to beat Notre Dame three sets to one. Junior Darian Hopper, who recorded 12 kills, led the Pack in the Carolina match. State recorded a season-high 388 attacking percentage in their match against Notre Dame. They now have a 10-4 record, 1-1 mark in the ACC, and will travel to Boston College on Friday for their next match. NC State softball team has just concluded fall play with an undefeated record of 8-0, They competed in the Ray Chandler Memorial College Tournament this weekend, came out with four wins against Campbell, Pitt Community College, Elon, and North Carolina Central. The softball team will not compete again until their spring season begins. Both the men's and women's cross-country teams traveled to Minnesota for the Roy Gryock Invitational this past week. The 21st-ranked men finished 7th in the Merrill Feishman Men's Gold 8K race, while the 24th-ranked women finished 8th in the Jack Johnson Women's gold 6k race senior andrew Colley finished first for the men with a time of 24 minutes 29 seconds which gave him fourth overall junior joanna thompson pushed at a time of 21 minutes and 10 seconds giving her 10th place finish paced the women also a quick shout out and congratulations to the nc state sailing team who recently captured their first ever national title congratulations to them This has been Ben Hefner at the Eye on the Triangle Sports Report. Thanks, Ben. For weeks,
0: the threat of a government shutdown has been looming as our nation's leaders struggle to agree on a budget plan. But what does it mean now that it's actually upon us? Here's Andrew with the story.
1: Attention, listeners. The government has been shut down. Because the two houses of Congress failed to agree upon a budget in time, the fiscal year began without one, and now all non-essential federal actions have been suspended. What does that mean?
4: Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria.
1: Well, not exactly. You, as a citizen of one of the 50 states, needn't worry about your mailbox sitting empty while your trash can overflows, nor any truant youth militias clad in hockey gear driving the streets of your neighborhood at speeds now unchecked by traffic lights. All those utilities are still maintained by your local and state government or has been deemed essential by Congress and allowed to continue activities. The federal government hasn't actually been dissolved or disestablished. It's more like a business that didn't open the day since its 535 managers couldn't agree on how to spend its money over the next year. So why did this occur? October 1st is the beginning of the federal fiscal year. Coincidentally, it is also the date that the first provisions of a certain law passed in 2010 go into effect. That law is the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. That act was passed by Congress and signed into law by President Obama and has survived several attempts at repeal. But not to be deterred, the Republican-majority House has refused to approve a budget for the coming fiscal year that includes funding for Obamacare. Likewise, the Democrat-majority Senate has refused to approve one that does not include funding for Obamacare. It seems the House thought the Senate would cave before the deadline, but they were wrong. Obamacare has, as of today, gone into effect with or without the federal government operating behind it. Today, for a fourth time, the Senate has rejected a House plan without funding for Obamacare, and President Obama says he won't negotiate on the issue. Last shutdown was also the longest, 21 days. Congress might just try to break that record. And since their salaries have been deemed essential, there's nothing holding them back. So until then... Up next, a new program at NC State that could soon spread across the campus. We'll take a quick break, but stick with us for the story. And welcome back. We are going to have a quick in-studio discussion about the implications of the government shutdown. So, I'll start out. How long do you all expect this to last? I'm thinking it goes two
5: weeks.
0: I not know. I was talking to... um. Michaela earlier, and she was she's pretty she's a news junkie. She's really up on everything, and uh, she was she said, "Meh, at least a week, at least because she she was, I mean, this is not what I was saying, but this was her idea was that they want to each side wants to be kind of stick it to the other side and say, hey, look, here's here's the result of what you did, you know, here's here's your fault. This is all this is all happening
5: because you. This is basically the largest scale staring contest I have ever experienced. Um. So that, that's why I'm thinking, like, they're each going to hold out pretty much as long as they can. They're getting paid. There's pretty much no incentive except that everyone will hate them. And guess what? Everyone hates them already anyway. So um, what incentive do they have to really end it?
1: Yeah, Um. this really seems like, I'll, I'll say it, a tantrum to me because the House tried just a couple days ago again to repeal Obamacare, and it did not pass and so their response was to just try to leave it unenforced by not giving it enough money but it's it's on the books now i mean today was the day so even if that happens and if they like you know if somehow everyone agrees on a budget that does not include funding for it this will still happen again next year and the year afterwards and however long it remains like that so this really i i i've heard it said that if they really think that this law is so destructive and so terrible for the country why don't they just let it happen and we'll we'll all you know obviously come to their side if they're right that's true i could see that <laughs> i mean um uh, it's yeah it's it's a it's a weird parade you know weird situation (laughs) that like yeah obviously not everyone's listening to them i'd say we're the country's about split on it and it just so happens that one of those halves controls the senate so the divide (laughs) is
5: the divide is the problem
1: yeah and and it it, see i only really see it going one way and that's eventually the house is gonna have to fund obamacare the senate is not going to compromise that on that and President Obama is not going to compromise on that. Yeah, he
5: said he'll he won't sign into law anything that doesn't include this bill that he's pushed so hard for.
1: So, um, are I would ask: Are the holdouts really just you know hurting themselves at this point? Will Will anyone really see them as heroic if they go a week or two weeks without funding the rest of the government because there's one particular law that they don't like? that is already on the books and there's not really anything they can do to stop it.
5: There are those that will respect the fact that they held to their convictions. Um, I mean, I suppose if, if you're against a law that is basically increasing the power of the federal government beyond what you believe is, is right. And um, in the meantime, you're shutting, you're putting out one in five, federal government employees out of work for a couple weeks. Uh, do you really see that as such a terrible thing if what you were trying to do was downsize government?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I understand that attitude, and I think it's an absolutely despicable one. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think many Americans will be too fond of that, especially those who are employed by the federal government and did not go into work today. Well, sure. So I'm curious now,
0: <clears throat> what are some of the specific effects that have taken place so far as a result of the shutdown.
1: The National Mall was closed today. Oh, my God. So they put up barriers on all the roads around the monuments. The monuments themselves, if they have gates, they were locked. Uh, All the fountains were shut off. There are over 300 fountains, I think, on the National Mall. Um, All the national parks across the country have been closed. Despite it being the 123rd birthday of Yosemite. No one is there to celebrate. And, Which um, is kind of a cool <laughs> thing,
5: actually. I think it's kind of... You know, you're right. It's you're kind right. of an interesting thing. I think it's a day off. Now that you It's, it's it out. A, yeah. really probably the most it's, serene it's ever been <laughs> for it's 123 a, years. That's actually a really they, interesting this point. Isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now the National Mall is a great spot to shoot a low-budget zombie film.
1: Or if, a bald eagle. Since, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh um, and uh, one of the... Major effects for at least a significant portion of the population is, um, like I said in the piece, that uh, mail continues and garbage pickup continues, but not in Washington, D.C. Since Washington, D.C., this budget is tied directly to the federal budget. They that's coming straight out of their pockets. Yeah, they've and got so a the mayor of Washington, D.C. has promised that garbage pickup will continue, but they've they got have, about two weeks. Yeah, this is so that not, fund <laughs> that they have. They've got 144 million
5: in funds. Is that so set aside? Yes, this is what the mayor is pulling from. He's got 144 million. That's going to last two weeks.
1: And so maybe that's what we need the changes that the nation's capital. ...streets overflow with filth, that finally Congress comes together and agrees on something. It had happened before, and then we had the late 90s. So Yeah, yeah, like I said, the last time that the government shut down was from December 15th, 1995 to January 6th, 1996. That was 21 days. And the last time before that was November 13th to November 19th, 1995... And oh, wow. so that was 5 days. So just so you know, if this is resolved, it might happen again in a month.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was there anything specifically notable from that occurrence that we should probably look out for this time or or are we not really looking out for something?
5: We're seeing definitely some um, repetitions from last time. I mean,
1: well, in the last time it says the shutdown of 1995 and 1996 President Bill Clinton vetoed a continuing resolution passed by Republican-controlled Congress. A deal was reached allowing for 75% funding for four weeks, and Clinton agreed to a seven-year timetable for a balanced budget. Now, that is actually what the House just tried to do a couple hours ago. They said that they wanted to pass a series of incremental fundings where that they would fund specific utilities and institutions, and the Senate said absolutely not, because obviously one will be left out of that, and that's the Affordable Care Act. Right. Well, it <laughs> doesn't sound like we can solve
5: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't got all the right ideas. Sure. All
0: right. So up next, we have um, bike sharing, which you might know is a common feature in many urban areas. Uh, with programs in London, New York City, Copenhagen, and many other cities finding great success, NCSU is seeking to get one started right here on campus. Desiree has more.
6: On campus and have ever thought, wow, it'd be really cool if campus had bikes that students could rent for free? Well, that's the thought that two NC State students had when they decided to create a program that did exactly so. Quad Bikes, made possible with the support of University Recreation, NC State Transportation, and funds went through student governments Think Outside the Brick Sustainability Competition, is a program for the residents of NC State's Honors Village. This program allows these students to rent bicycles for free. Carlos Vega and Brian Easy, founders of Quad Bikes, found through a survey that 80% of Honors Village residents were interested in a residential bike program. With this outstanding feedback, Vega and Easy took the initiative to create a program that was not only convenient, but environmentally friendly. This alternative transportation is not only good for the environment, it's also good for your physical health. Instead of driving your car to the supermarket, why not rent a bike? It'll eliminate having to find a parking spot and will waste less of your gas. The great thing is that you'll also be burning fat while doing so. If you're in the Honors Village and would like to take advantage of this opportunity, all you have to do is attend an information and safety workshop, which is offered twice a month. After that, you can check out bikes for five-hour periods that can be renewed as needed. This program is currently only available for residents of Becton, Barrie, and Bagwell Hall, but it is hoped that this program can be initiated at other parts of campus in the future. In the meantime, if you're not a resident of the Honors Village but would like to rent a bike, the university houses a program called Wolf Wheels, which allows all students, faculty, and staff with a valid Wolfpack One Card to rent bicycles on a daily, weekend, weekly, or semester-long basis. In addition to this program providing a healthy, environmentally-friendly transportation alternative, it also offers maintenance clinics and workshops for all students, faculty, and staff. The cost for this program is $3 for a day rental, $6 for a weekend, $18 for a week, and $99 for an entire semester. If you'd like to read more about Wolf Wheels, check out recreation.ncsu.edu slash outdooradventures slash overview. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Desiree Ward.
1: Dave interviewed a professor right here at the College of Natural Resources about the varying nature and function of fires. Here's the second in a series of their discussion.
5: Hello, and welcome to part two of Fires with Dave. I interviewed Dr. Joseph Roise, and this is a continuation of our interview in which we discuss fires and their impact on the environment.
4: So 1945 to 1950, in that range, we had a huge change in the way things operated in the country, and basically it was fire suppression, and this was happening all over the country except for private landowners in the southeast. They didn't really believe that. They believed that they should keep burning, and so there is a lot of pressure on the southeast to teach them that fires are bad, and the farmers and landowners really didn't believe the government any more than they do today, and they kept it up, but on the national forests in the southeast, they pretty much suppressed all fires. And then the state forest services, in which every state has one, they took on the role of suppressing fires. So wildfires were bad. On the other hand, I say wildfires are bad. In the southeast, we still have prescribed fires, very common. Prescribed fires are fires that foresters and other land managers will set in order to produce some kind of effect. Mainly, it's an ecological effect. They want to remove the the brush that's shading out uh, endangered species. You know, pitcher plants is a good example, or Venus flytraps is a good example. But there's a lot more than just those. Those are just popular plants because they're carnivorous, and carnivorous plants are interesting. So, in the this is in the 40s, in the 50s, through that time, but out west, they suppressed most of the fires. And if you look at the fire signatures on the landscape, this is doing dendrochronology where you study the fire rings and fire scars on, you know, the, the redwoods and huge trees, you'll find that up until sometime in the you know, around nineteen hundred, fires were happening out west all the time. And then all of a sudden they become more and more infrequent until they're just pretty much eliminated. And this is in the nineteen forties sometimes. They're almost you know, they're not totally eliminated but very few big fires. Humans have taken over the natural system in response to suppressing fires. So we had a nice peaceful time, for, especially out west, from the 1940s into the 1980s. But during those 40 years, all this brush and stuff <laughs> was building up in the understory. And by brush, I mean – and that's another word we use for fuel. So that hazardous fuels was building up in the understory. If you don't burn or if you don't harvest or you don't do whatever – practice you're going to get a dangerous fuel loads or hazardous fuel loads so the hazardous fuel loads were building up for 40 years and all of a sudden and i can't remember when the yellowstone fire was but it was 86 maybe so i'm just kind of going by my memory on that but that was a huge thing and it changed the view of the government of the forest service and the people who tried to suppress fires to maybe fires should be allowed to burn When they are good fires, you know, how do you you say which fire is good? After so many years of the successful uh, Smokey the Bear campaign, Smokey the Bear was a real bear and came out of a fire and he was used to promote only humans, meaning only you could prevent forest fires. And I grew up believing that and everybody kind of bought into it and it seemed like a logical thing, but it's not necessarily uh, logical.
5: Tune in October 15th for Part 3 of Fires with Dave.
0: Transit in Raleigh and the Triangle has been a hot topic in the past few months, and there are lots of options for our future. Michaela explores one of the potential changes to our city.
7: station is an attempt to increase the railroad and bus capacity and safety in the triangle and charlotte area the idea is to increase the number of passenger trains and create a station on weston martin street to replace the one on caribus the idea is to promote trains and buses as local and distant form of travel the raleigh union station will be a new project for the city to reduce congestion at the current amtrak station as well as dropping a crucial anchor for the up-and-coming downtown warehouse district the Union Station is designed to have more parking and platform space, a civic plaza, and rail bridges over Martin and West Streets. On September 19th, the North Carolina Department of Transportation received a letter from the FRA authorizing the request of the City of Raleigh for $10-15 million dollars to reprogram the Piedmont Improvement Program, which will help build and fund the Raleigh Union Station. North Carolina Department of Transportation Secretary Tony Tata is hoping the Raleigh Union Station will spur economic growth and continue to revitalize a historic area of downtown. He is also hoping that this will better connect the Triangle area to Charlotte and the places in between. Despite how optimistic the officials appear, the Union Station is put on hold because the budget is roughly $20 million short of the $73 million total. The city hopes to have the entire project completed by early 2017. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor.
1: Next week is the Raleigh Municipal Election, and the Wake County School Bond is being put to a vote. Sydney has the story.
8: Next Tuesday, October 8th, is the day to vote for or against the Wake School Bond. The overall hope for this program, if voted in, is to renovate and update high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools all over Wake County. Now, the reasoning behind asking for the funds to make these changes is the sharp incline of residents in Wake County, which approximates to over 170,000 people and an estimated 3,200 new students to join the system per year. These numbers have jumped the Wake County public school system into becoming the 16th largest public school system in the country. To compensate for this growth, Wake County is requesting the bond to build 16 new schools, repairs for existing schools, and new security features, to name a few goals. The county aims to use a bond due to the low interest rate and the payoff that comes with the new development. This will mean a tax increase. Five and a half cents added to the property tax will contribute to making the project possible. If the school bond passes, this will be the first tax increase for Wake County since the fiscal 2008-2009 to year. In comparison, Wake County also has the lowest tax rate amongst counties with the largest school districts. Opponents of the bond claim that there are plenty of seats that are empty in schools already and that the academic performance of the county doesn't support its case. Opposition also asserts that the county should use the money already available for renovations and that the school board is overestimating its needs. With the vote one week away, I encourage those of you who can vote in this ballot to look up more about this bond case and educate yourself. Also, vote. Be sure to make your voice heard. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Sydney Bloom.
1: And now, here are the campus happenings for the next week.
4: Talk to me, so, so you can see.
0: Here's what's going on at NC State. Wednesday, October 2nd is Campus Sustainability Day. Head out to the Brickyard between 11 and 2 to see the Alternative Vehicles Showcase, where hybrid cars, electric vehicles, bicycles, and much more will be on display. Get up close and personal with energy-saving vehicles and other fuel-efficient ways to travel. Wednesday evening at 7.30, University Theater presents Arcadia. The play explores the changes our society has experienced over time and how public mindset has been altered by cultural changes and scientific knowledge. Catch the production Wednesday through Sunday night at 7.30 in Thompson Hall. Friday the 4th is the Study Abroad Fair from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Carmichael Gym. It's a great chance to learn about all of the study abroad options available here at NC State with representation from nearly all of the upcoming 2014 programs. Meet fellow students who have studied abroad and hear about their incredible experiences. Program directors and advisors will be available to answer questions. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, Despicable Me 2, This is the End, and Slumdog Millionaire will be showing. Check uab.ncsu.edu for the schedule and pricing. Next Monday night at 9 p.m. in the Campus Cinema, comedian Evan Wexel will be hosting Comedy for a Cause, a benefit for the St. Baldrick's Foundation to help cancer research. Enjoy your Monday night and save lives in the process. Register for the event at go.ncsu.edu slash For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu slash calendar. For I on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast.
1: Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week for the next in Dave's Discussion on Fires. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Aiken.
0: And I'm Nick Savage. As a, note, as a note, however, we will not be airing next week because the... Results of the Raleigh Municipal Election will be live broadcasted right here on uh, on WKNC 88.1. So tune in in two weeks on October 15th for the next Eye on the Triangle. Good night.